so they rode, while the rainfall increased and splashed and sang among the rocks with the sky like dull steel above them, and the wind crooning a dirge about their ears. Three small figures riding swiftly towards the black mountain barrier which rose over the world like a brooding god. And perhaps it was a god that laughed sometimes as they neared the foothills of the range, or perhaps it was the wind whistling through the dark mystery of canyons and precipices, and the tumble of basalt and granite which climbed towards lonely peaks. Thunderclouds formed around those peaks, and lightning smashed downwards like a monster finger, searching the earth for grubs. Thunder rattled over the range, and Sharila spoke her thoughts at last to Elric, spoke them as the mountains came in sight. Elric, let us go back, I beg you. Forget the book. There are too many forces working against us. Take heed of the signs, Elric, or we are doomed. Auric was grimly silent before he had long been aware that the girl was losing her enthusiasm for the quest she had started. Auric, please. We will never reach the book. Auric, turn back. She rode beside him, pulling at his garments until impatiently he shrugged himself clear of her grasp and said, I'm intrigued too much to stop now. Either continue to lead the way or tell me what you know and stay here. He desired to sample the book's wisdom once, but now a few minor pitfalls in our journey have frightened you. What was it you needed to learn, Sharila? She did not answer him, but said instead, What was it you desired, Elric? Peace, you told me. Well, I warn you, you'll find no peace in these grim mountains if we reach them at all. You have not been frank with me, Sharila, Elric said coldly still looking ahead at the black peaks. You know something of the forces seeking to stop us? She shrugged. It matters not, but I know little. My father spoke a few vague warnings before he died, that is all. Well, what did he say? He said that he who guards the book would use all his power to stop mankind from using its wisdom. And what else? Nothing else, but it is often enough now that I see my father's warnings, that it was truly spoken. It was this guardian who killed him, Elric, or one of the guardian's minions. I do not wish to suffer that fate in spite of what the book might do for me. I had thought you powerful enough to aid me. Now I doubt it. Now I've protected you so far, Elric said simply. Now tell me, what use do you seek from the book? I am too ashamed. Auric did not press the question, but eventually she spoke softly, almost whispering. I sought my wings, she said. Your wings? You mean the box might give you a spell so that you could grow wings? Auric smiled ironically. And that is why you seek the vessel of the world's mightiest wisdom. If you were thought deformed in your own land, it would seem important enough to you, she shouted defiantly. Auric turned his face towards her, his crimson irised eyes burning with a strange emotion. He put a hand to his dead white skin and a crooked smile twisted his lips. I too have felt as you do, he said quietly. And that was all he said. And Sharila dropped behind him again, shamed.
They rode on in silence until Moonglum, who had been riding discreetly, he'd cocked his overlarge skull on one side and suddenly drew rein. Auric joined him. What is it, Moonglum? Well, I hear horses coming this way, the little man said, and voices which are disturbingly familiar. More of those devil dogs, Auric, this time accompanied by riders. Auric, too, heard the sounds now and shouted a warning to Sharira. Perhaps you were right, he called. More trouble comes towards us. What now? Moonglum said, frowning. Ride for the mountains, Alric replied. You may yet outdistance them. They spurred their steeds into a fast gallop and sped towards the hills. Their flight was hopeless. Soon a black pack was visible on the horizon, and the sharp, bird-like baying of the devil dogs drew nearer. Alric stared backward at their pursuers. Night was beginning to fall, and visibility was decreasing with every passing moment. But he had a vague impression of the riders who raced behind the pack. They were swathed in dark cloaks and carried long spears. Their faces were invisible, lost in the shadow of the hoods which covered their heads. Now Alric and his companions were forcing the horses up a steep incline, seeking shelter of the rocks which lay there. We'll halt here, Alric ordered. Try to hold them off. In the open, they could easily surround us. Moonglum nodded affirmatively, agreeing with the good sense contained in Elric's words. They pulled their sweating steeds to a standstill and prepared to join battle with the howling pack and their dark cloaked masters. Soon the first of the devil dogs was rushing up the incline, their beak jaws slavering and their talons rattling on stone. Standing between two rocks, blocking the way between them with their bodies, Ulrich and Moonglum met the first attack, quickly dispatched three of the animals. Several more took the place of the dead, and the first of the riders was visible behind him as night crept closer. Arioch, swore Ulrich, suddenly recognising the riders. These are the lords of Darji, dead these ten centuries. They were fighting dead men, Moonglum, and the two tangible ghosts of their dogs. Unless I can think of a sorceress means to defeat them, we're doomed. The zombie men appeared to have no intention of taking part in the attack for the moment. They waited, their dead eyes eerily luminous, as the devil dogs attempted to break through the swinging network of steel with which Elric and his companion defended themselves. Elric was racking his brains, trying to dredge a spoken spell from his memory which would dismiss these living dead. And then it came to him, and hoping that the forces he had to invoke would decide to aid him, he began to chant. Let the laws which govern all things not so lightly be dismissed. Let the ones who flaunt the earth kings with a fresher death be kissed. Nothing happened. They failed, Ulrich muttered hopelessly as he met the attack of a snapping devil dog and spitted the thing on his sword. Then, the ground rocked and seemed to seethe beneath the feet of the horses upon whose backs the dead men sat. Tremor lasted a few seconds and then subsided. The spell was not powerful enough, Elric sighed. The earth trembled again, and small craters formed in the ground of the hillside upon which the, lord, the dead lords of Darji impassively waited. Stones crumbled and horses stamped nervously. Then the earth rumbled, 
back, yelled Elric warningly. Back or we'll go with them. They retreated, backing towards Sharila and the waiting horses as the ground sagged beneath their feet. The Darji mounts were rearing and snorting, and the remaining dogs turned nervously to regard their masters with puzzled, uncertain eyes. A low moan was coming from the lips of the living dead. Suddenly a whole area of the surrounding hillside split into cracks, and yawning crannies appeared in the surface. Elric and his companies swung themselves onto their horses as, with a frightful multi-voiced scream, the dead lords were swallowed by the earth, returning to the depths from which they had been summoned. A deep unholy chuckle arose from the shattered pit. It was the mocking laughter of the earth kings taking their rightful prey back into their keeping. Whining, the devil dogs slunk towards the edge of the pit, sniffing around it. Then with one accord the black pack hurled itself down into the chasm, following its masters to whatever cold doom awaited them. Moonglum shuddered. You are on familiar terms with the strangest people, friend Elric, he said shakily, and turned his horse towards the mountains again. They reached the Black Mountains on the following day, and nervously Sharila led them along the rocky route she had mentioned. She no longer pleaded with Elric to return. She was resigned to whatever fate awaited them. Elric's obsession was burning within him, and he was filled with impatience, certain that he would find at last the ultimate truth of existence in the dead god's book. Moonglum was cheerfully sceptical, while Sharila was consumed with foreboding. Rain still fell and the storm growled and crackled above them, and as the driving rainfall increased with fresh insistence, they came at last to the black, gaping mouth of a huge cave. I can lead you no further, Sharila said wearily. The book lies somewhere beyond the entrance to this cave. Elric and Moonglum looked uncertainly at one another, neither of them sure what move to make next. To have reached their goal seemed somehow anticlimactic, for nothing blocked the cave entrance and nothing appeared to guard it. It is inconceivable, said Elric, that the dangers which beset us were not engineered by something. Yet, here we are. No one seeks to stop us entering. Are you sure this is the right cave, Sharila? The girl pointed upwards to the rock above the entrance. Engraved in it was a curious symbol which Elric instantly recognised. No sign of chaos, Elric exclaims. Perhaps I should have guessed. What does it mean, Elric? Moonglum asked. It is the symbol of everlasting disruption and anarchy, Elric told him. We're standing in territory presided over by the Lords of Entropy, or one of their minions. So that is who our enemy is. This can only mean one thing. The book is of extreme importance to the order of things on this plane, possibly all the myriad planes of the universe. It was why Arioch was reluctant to aid me. He too was a lord of chaos. Moonglum stared at him in puzzlement. What do you mean, Elric? Or know you not that two forces govern the world, fighting an eternal battle, Elric replied. Law and chaos. The upholders of chaos state in such a world as they rule all things are possible. 
opponents of chaos, those who ally themselves with the forces of law, say that without law nothing material is possible. Some stand apart, believing that a balance between the two is the proper state of things. But we cannot. We have become embroiled in a dispute between the two forces. The book is valuable to either faction, obviously. And I could guess that the minions of entropy are worried what power we might release if we obtain this book. Law and chaos rarely interfere directly in men's lives. That is why we have not been fully aware of their presence. Well, now perhaps I will discover at last the answer to the one question which concerns me. Does an ultimate force rule over the opposing factions of law and chaos? Alric stepped through the cave entrance, peering into the gloom, while the others hesitatedly followed him. Cave stretches back a long way, and all we can do is press on until we find its far wall, Alex said. Well, let's hope that its far wall lies not downwards, Moonglum said ironically as he motioned Alric to lead on. They stumbled forward as the cave grew darker and darker. Their voices were magnified and hollow to their own ears as the floor of the cave slanted sharply down. This is no cave, Alec whispered. It's a tunnel. Cannot guess where it leads. For several hours they pressed onwards in pitch darkness, clinging to one another as they reeled forward, uncertain of their footing and still aware that they were moving down a gradual incline. They lost all sense of time and Alric began to feel as if he were living through a dream. Events seemed to have become so unpredictable and beyond his control that he could no longer cope with thinking about them in ordinary terms. The tunnel was long and dark and wide and cold. It offered no comfort, and the floor eventually became the only thing which had any reality. It was firmly beneath his feet. He began to feel the possibility that he was not moving, that the floor, after all, was moving, and he was remaining stationary. His companions clung to him, but he was not aware of them. He was lost, and his brain was numb. Sometimes he swayed and felt he was on the edge of a precipice. Sometimes he fell and his groaning body met hard stone, disproving the proximity of the gulf down which he half expected to fall. All the while he made his legs perform walking motions, even though he was not at all sure whether he was actually moving forward. And time meant nothing. It became a meaningless concept with relation to nothing. Until... At last, he was aware of a faint blue glow ahead of him, and he knew that he had been moving forward. He began to run down the incline, but found that he was going too fast and had to check his speed. There was a scent of alien strangeness in the cool air of the cave tunnel, and fear was a fluid force which surged over him, something separate from himself. The others obviously felt it too, for though they said nothing, Alric could sense it. Slowly they moved downward, drawn like automatons towards the pale blue glow below them. And then they were out of the tunnel, staring awestruck at the unearthly vision which confronted them. Above them, the very air seemed the strange blue colour which had originally attracted them. They were standing on a jutting slab of rock, and although it was still somehow dark, the eerie blue glow illuminated a stretch of glinting silver beach beneath them. 
and the beach was lapped by a surging dark sea which moved restlessly, like a liquid giant in disturbed slumber. Scattered along a silver beach were the dull shapes of wrecks, the bones of peculiarly designed boats, each of a different pattern from the rest. The sea surged away into darkness and there was no horizon, only blackness. Behind them they could see a sheer cliff which was also lost in darkness beyond a certain point. And it was cold, bitterly cold, with an unbelievable sharpness. For though the sea threshed beneath them, there was no dampness in the air, no smell of salt. It was a bleak and awesome sight, and apart from the sea, they were, only, they were the only things that moved. The only things to make sound, for the sea was horribly silent in its restless movement. Well, what now, Elric? whispered Moonglum, shivering. Elric shook his head and they continued to stand there for a long time until the albino, his white face and hands ghastly in the alien light, said, well, Since it is impracticable to return, we shall venture over the sea. His voice was hollow, and he spoke as one who was unaware of his words. Steps cut into the living rock led them towards the beach, and now Elric began to descend them. The others allowed him to lead them, staring around them, their eyes lit by a terrible fascination. <laughs>